All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 140 of the DFO Rundown brought to you by Three Ice, the new 100% three-on-three hockey league that launches this summer. It's essentially overtime all the time, led by six Hall of Famers, Guy Carboneau, Grant Fuhr, Larry Murphy, John LeClaire, Joe Mullen, and Brian Trache. Three Ice will be hitting eight cities over nine weeks, including two stops in Canada, London, Ontario on July 16th, and Quebec City on July 30th. You can get your tickets at Three Ice, that's the number three, ice.com. Three Ice, the best part of hockey. As uh, Frank Saravalli joins us uh, from uh, Denver, Colorado, where the uh, Stanley Cup could be awarded tonight. And uh, Frank, I know that uh, you and everybody else has been covering it. Are like, get it over with. This is day 35. Um, but uh, hey, the uh, the champs, uh, they're down three to one. I think it's unlikely that they'll win three in a row, but uh, I don't expect them to go easy tonight. No, I mean, Pat, Pat Maroon had the, uh, he set the tone. We got to win one bleeping game as they were about to get on their plane to come out to Denver. And, you know, every time you count this team out, every time you think that they have emptied the tank and have nothing left. I mean, even the third period of game four, the other night, they looked absolutely gassed to start the period. And they were somehow pressuring the Colorado avalanche as the game headed to overtime. I mean, they find a way every time. And as much as I think the abs are going to be fired up by John Cooper's comments after Nazem Kadri's overtime winner. One of the weirdest goals I've been in the building for definitely the strangest since Patrick Kane and game six in 2010 that I don't know. It's so easy to count out the lightning in this exact situation with the abs having a chance to hoist it on home ice. Yeah. At the same time, the abs are good, man. Darcy Kemper probably, you know what, uh, didn't get much uh, talk about after game four, but uh, that was easily his best game at the Stanley cup final. And if the abs get really? good goaltending, 
Well, which game I thought do you think he was had better? a great. I had. I thought he had a great first period, and I thought he looked really wonky after that. I thought his handling of the puck was really difficult. There were a lot of rebounds. Like there's, look, I'm. You know, I get that this is a pressure pack situation. I I don't feel any better now about the Abs goaltending than I did previously. Well, I still don't see them as a matchup against um, Vasilevsky. But for me, at the end of the day, if the goalie stops the puck. I, I, some, I don't, I don't care how he stops the puck. Um, I might not look good at it, but uh, he didn't, uh, he out dueled uh, the, the other goaltender at the other end of the ice. And um, you know, they got the win. Like I, you know, and to me, when he got the, the when they got the shutout in game seven and game two, he was barely tested, right? Like, but they have like two good chances. So I thought uh, he, uh, he faced some better chances and you know what, uh, now uh, Colorado has a chance to uh, to win the cup on, on home ice, and uh, you know, I'm sure they'll go delusional. What is it? Uh, they'd be three and zero in Stanley Cup Finals too, which is crazy as an organization. Uh, they've never lost when they're in the Stanley Cup Finals, so uh, we'll see. But uh, outside of the Stanley Cup, Frank, there's tons of other stories going on. The uh, the Florida Panthers, Paul Maurice comes back, and man, was he jacked up in his uh, his interview yesterday? He's very very excited about the the opportunity to uh, to coach the Panthers, and and why not? They got a lot of talent in Florida. The only negative for the Panthers is that for year one, they've got 6.5 million in dead cap space. That's a significant amount of dead cap space money when you're competing with the other top teams in the Eastern Conference. So you mentioned that, but that's not Paul Maurice's problem. That's Bill Zito's problem. No, but um, but it's it's Maurice's pro- it's it's not he didn't create it, but you now have to coach a lineup that has 6.5 dead cap space that doesn't allow you to fill that with better quality players. Right. But they're also starting way ahead. Like I don't care what their cap situation is. This is a coach's dream job to walk into president's trophy winner, 122 points last year, loaded with talent. As you mentioned, you know, you have a couple capable goaltenders depending on the night or situation and depending on what they end up doing this summer with their goalies. But the offense that you have at your disposal, you know, they're going to make other cap creative cap decisions this summer to alleviate some of that stress that's created by the six and a half million dollars in dead cap space. You know, I'm very confident in saying that they are going to try and find a way to move Patrick Hornquist at his salary. Who's he's no longer, you know, playing at a level commensurate to his pay. So, um, Bill Zito, that, and that's one of the interesting things about Zito and his tenure is he's been able to get out from under contracts that have been damaging to this point and hasn't really had to overpay a significant amount in order to make it happen. I think about Anton Strawman on the back end, he ends up in Arizona. I think about uh, Brett Connolly up front, he ends up in Chicago. Uh, they ended up getting a, you know, a somewhat useful player to try and, uh, you know, work through and see if they could develop. Um, you know, they've done a really good job worming their way out of tough situations. I have no doubt that this summer they'll do the same. Well, yeah, because right now they got 79.4 million committed to uh, 17 players. And then, of course, that includes the dead cap space. Hornquist would be a $5.3 million cap hit if they can get rid of it, which obviously be huge. Um, I'm very curious about Mason Marchment. He is uh, he is one of the unique unrestricted free agents in the NHL guys only play what he's barely played any hockey uh, in, in the NHL, but because he started late, he was, he was the ultimate late developer. Now he gets to test the market, Frank. And, and if you're Mason Marchment, you, 
I got to think he's going to look for a, for a minimum, a three-year deal. And, and when you look at comparables of, uh, of recent contracts, he's going to be able to command at least three and a half million bucks. Yeah. Uh, there's no doubt with the season that he had, I mean, 47 points in 54 games, 18 goals in just 54 games. He has 91 career games total yeah. in his, in his NHL career. And you know, it's interesting to see the response and, and I, and I struggled really with where to put him on our, our daily face-off board, uh, for top free agents, because you're like, well, he doesn't have a long track record of success, but he sort of burst out of the gate last year. And everyone noticed when he had that, what, seven point game at some point last year, uh, that's when he really sort of arrived. And I, I put him down at 24 on our list because, I've talked to a number of teams who just, they're not believers. They're, they need to see more before oh, yeah. they hand out that kind of money and term. And some of it may be because of, you know, we talked about this in a previous episode, the abs bump and how guys like Kadri and Nachushkin and Burakovsky and these guys are playing and producing at numbers that are way above what their career averages speak to. And, and Kadri's had a long run in the NHL. Where did this 87 point season come from? How do you manage that when you get to free agency? Are you going to get a guy that can duplicate or replicate an 87 point season? Or is he going to slide back to closer towards, you know, the mid sixties where he's sort of always been and has been his previous ceiling. I think the same question is true. Of, even in a, in a larger way with Marchment because he's played with really talented players and he doesn't have any sort of track record to speak to that type of production. Well, and the fact, Frank, if you look at his AHL career, it was banged up lots, right? He's playing 44 and 43 games and, and situations like that. And so you, you, you wonder, you know, I, I know that you can never predict injuries, right? But some teams will look and, now, all it takes is one, though, and uh, I, I think there'll be some teams that are willing, hey, you know what, w would you roll the dice on it? Probably. But I think teams, I'm very curious to see, Frank, if there is, and it's hard to predict, but who is the Carter Verhage or Michael Bunting UFA this offseason? Because you look at those two signings the last two years, you can't get better value for, you know what, uh, when Florida got Verhage out of Tampa Bay, and then, of course, uh, Bunting in Toronto. Now, they played with skilled players, but I've seen lots of guys play with skilled players who don't produce, right? Like, just because you play with a skilled guy, you still, in order to produce, you got to have some skill. And um, I've, I've been looking around and it's hard to obviously project guys like that, but uh, you know, I have an article coming out, but there's, I don't see like a, you know, a real obvious one, like Bunting at least had some, you know, there was like, oh, well, geez, in a short period of time, he was pretty good, but it was obviously a super small window. The teams, if you find those in a cap era, man, that that's, that's the gold digger. And I wonder which team will unearth uh, this, uh, this summer's a uh, great value free agent for like a million or a million and a half. You answered your own question. There isn't one, at least according to the teams I've talked to, I've asked the question and they say, look, those guys only come around every four or five years and they just happen to land in the last few. So where they really were able to step in and make an impact. So they don't, the teams that I talk to, at least if they're not tipping their hand, they don't think there is one this year. Yeah. Well, if, if they were smart, 
they wouldn't be tipping their hand. I would, I would hope not anyway, because, uh, you know, fair amount of people are reading dailyfaceoff.com and suddenly they'll be like, Oh geez, didn't know about this guy. It's like scouts, man. Uh, there's lots of scouts that will, Oh, is there, Hey, is there, no, there's no surprise players for us. Like I get it. Right. Uh, like the St. Louis blues, when they drafted Colton Pareko were that said nothing. And they, they'd scouted, uh, they'd went in quietly to watch him and then unearth a gem, uh, later in the third round. And uh, it turned out to be great. Um, one other team, uh, Frank, we, we talked about Paul Maurice. What do you feel about the fit for Paul Maurice? Like genuinely excitement. Like, were you surprised they, they went away from Burnett so quickly? Or is it just the fact that Paul Maurice has a pretty good track record uh, of being a successful coach and a coach who understands how to communicate with today's player? I think the disappointing part for Andrew Burnett is that they never really seemed to seriously consider him for the role once the season ended. I think, the Panthers, and I've never gotten a full answer on this, but the sense I could gather was that they felt he was out coached in the playoffs and didn't make the proper adjustments. Um, and really, once they got to exit interviews, I was told they were asking players, you know, very specifically about the coaching staff, and they all expressed support. That's the one thing I found is that they all really liked playing for Andrew Brunette and wanted to have him back, but management certainly wasn't as confident. And so they sort of began their search right away. And Andrew Burnett was left twisting in the wind for a number of weeks. And in fact, still may be in a spot where it's incredibly awkward. You know, they're going to offer him or have offered him a quote significant role to remain with the team moving forward. Paul Maurice is open to the idea. I don't think Andrew Brunette is, but unfortunately for him, he's under contract for next season as an assistant or associate coach. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen there, um, but it's a tough spot. And they went through the gauntlet of coaches to speak to. And, and um, I, I saw a tweet from a reporter this week and it, it kind of made me laugh. It was like, Hey, any, any talk of any other candidates was quote overstated. I'm like overstated, like easy to say for some guy who isn't doing the work. I know the list of people that they talked to and it was pretty extensive. Uh, but once they got to Paul Maurice and got through the interview process, they really seemed to be uh, in love with his energy, his communication. Um, and as I mentioned, this is a dream job to step into. There's a reason why so many candidates were interested in speaking to the Florida Panthers, because it's an incredible opportunity uh, to be that guy that you think could help put this team over the top. Yeah. And now uh, as you were talking, Frank, I quickly looked up Mason Marchand's teammates at five on five and uh, he played 721 minutes at five on five this year. He played uh, 390 with Sam Reinhardt, then 291 with Lundell. Uh, the next closest was uh, E2 uh, uh, Lustorinen was 189 and then only 90 minutes with Barkoff, you know, 80 with Bennett, you know, a little bit with Verhage. So he was basically with Reinhardt a lot with a rookie Lundell and another young guy in Lustorinen. Now the difference was I'd like to look at their matchups because obviously the Huberto line and the Barkoff line are, are taking a lot of the tough ones, but, but you know what? You do know that Sam Reinhardt is a 30, 30 guy, right? Oh yeah. But, but Sam Reinhardt's not like the hundred point player of Huberto. You know what I'm saying? Like, so he's a good player. So if, if I'm an opposing team and I'm looking, I'm like, Hey, do, do we think Mason Marshman can play on our second, third line? That's kind of where you're looking at, right? Like he wasn't, it's not like he was playing all year with Huberto and, and kind of, you know, feeding off a hundred point player. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone was ever thinking Mason Marchman to play on their top line. Um, I, I get what you're saying. I, I understand that it's 
you know, maybe he's not playing at the very top of the lineup that you might've thought, but the talent that Florida has on their second and third lines is well North of what a lot of other teams have. Oh yeah. There's no question. No one, you're not getting a 30, 30 guy like Sam Reinhardt to play on the third line with Mason Marchman. You're you're just not anywhere. No, I I look at, um, I I look at a guy like Marchman because he did have that last year in the AHL where he, where he popped offensively and scored a lot, granted small sample size. And so that's where I think the concern is, is the small sample size, but also Frank, when you're six foot four and you're 210 pounds, and as you said, you scored 47 points in 54 games. Someone's going to take a chance on you. It's just, it's, it's too enticing not to. Someone will. And, and to your point, the Panthers and their cap situation can't really afford to keep. So no, uh, the other team I'm interested in is Vegas, Frank. I've, I've heard some rumblings about Riley Smith in Vegas and I, I was crunching Vegas's cap space situation, man. And, and even, I know they got rid of Dadanoff's 5 million and they got Shea Weber, which basically just puts them into to LTIR, but right. Like they've got 77 mil at, on 17 skater or 18 skaters, right? Because right now, and that doesn't include Thompson because I have is the backup currently at 2.3, but they've got to sign Hague and Howden and Smith and Colazar and Nick Roy and Yanmark. Um, they got a busy off season in, in Vegas. Uh, do you, what do you make of the Riley Smith? Is, does that make sense to you? Does him re-signing there make yeah. sense? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, how do you, like, I think people look at his point total and they say, why would you pay that much? And then you really have to look at his games played. Like when he's in the lineup and he's healthy, he's still an incredibly productive player. So where are you going to replace that type of scoring? You're probably not on a significant way on a trade front. You don't have, you know, any player that you bring in is going to cost you a bit too. Right. Yeah, unless they're they're gonna you know kind of promote from within and and think that guy like Nicholas Waugh is ready to take a little nope. bit of a step offensively or or Brett Howe and I just when I look nope. at their cap situations it's funny like you get rid of Dadanoff and they really like that was nice but they were so over the cap last year they've still got to remove guys you know salary out for nothing coming in for the, for them to even get under the cap so um that that's I'm a not- team I'm watching. Yeah. They've got other moves to make, I think is the point. And there's a reason why the deal hasn't been publicly announced other than my report. They're trying to move other players. I think Alex, Alec Martinez is on that list. I I still am not convinced that Robin Leonard is going to be playing next season, or at least to start that you may have more LTIR space there. Um, I think the cap situation that we see in three weeks or four weeks for Vegas is going to look a lot different than it looks like right now. Well, uh, let's get to our uh, big guest, the guy himself who will be uh, looking at cap situations in the draft and more the uh, GM of the Montreal Canadiens. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Our next guest is a Montreal native. He is the pride of Middlebury College, a Hall of Famer in the athletics department. 
And he spent 24 years as an NHL player agent before becoming the 18th general manager of the Montreal Canadiens in January. He is Kent Hughes. Kent, welcome to the DFO Rundown. How are you doing? Good, Frank. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really glad to have you. I know it's been a crazy uh, few months, last six plus months for you as you now get set for the draft to be hosted in Montreal in less than two weeks time. Just wanted to ask to start, you know, to make the transition to this role. What's it been like for you? Has it uh, met your expectations? Has it been different? Has it exceeded them? What's it been like? It's been it's been uh, a whirlwind for sure. Uh, the first six weeks, eight weeks, we're kind of drinking out of a fire hose, so to speak. Um, but it's met my expectations and then some, you know, it's, it's not hard to get out of bed early, stay up late, uh, getting work done. It's, it's been very energizing for me, very exciting. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do, but um, as I said, it's just exciting to get up in the morning and get to work at it. As you went through the process here, I, I think you had said that you know, it was going to be difficult for you to leave your business and join just any team, but being from Montreal and knowing uh, the pride of the franchise and the history and, and everything that's been part of it to be now in that chair, has that part sunk in? Have you, are you used to that yet? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I, I think, uh, listen, you grew up in Montreal. You're, you're, I think everybody knows uh, to some degree, anybody involved in hockey, what, what hockey means to Montreal and what the Canadians mean to Montreal. Uh, I certainly did growing up, but, but it, uh, it was definitely still an eye opener when you take the job and you just understand the, the extent of it. Um, the, the, uh, how passionate they are. And I think especially with everything that went on with Terry price and Guy Lafleur this year, uh, it just almost drove it home. It, it was, it was, uh, very, very unique. And even for someone like, I can remember sitting with Jeff Gordon in, in uh, towards the end of the year. And, you know, he's been a worked for Boston and New York, two original six franchises. It wasn't like he was in a, uh, you know, a second tier hockey market. And he's elbowing me at the end of the year saying, we're in the last place. We're getting a standing ovation. What, what is going on here? So yeah, it's been great. Love it. Kent, I was just in Montreal last weekend for F1. And uh, obviously there's lots to talk about that. But of course, uh, in a few weeks, the, the Habs have the number one uh, overall pick, which is very rare to have the number one overall pick if you're the Habs, but then to have it when you're hosting the draft and taxi drivers, bartenders, hotel guys, like they're all so fired up talking about it. That How, how exciting is that? But uh, also, is there... Is there added pressure do you find and, and how will you be able to protect that number one overall pick from the, from the glare and, and, and maybe unrealist expectations that might be heaped upon their young shoulders? Well, I don't know if there's extra pressure having number one. I, I think, you know, a lot of people have made that common glad it's your choice, not ours. Um, I always think it's great to have a choice, right? Uh, if you're sitting at two or three, you're letting other people dictate your circumstances, uh, the pressure of it, listen, we're going to make a, a choice that we hope is the right choice here. And, and we're continuing to do everything we can to make sure we do make the right choice. Uh, but at the end of the day, that's, you know, it's, it's amateur scouting. So we all know that uh, it's not a science. It's not perfect. We'll try to do the best thing that we can get the best player that we can for our team. And then from that point on, we do have a task to, to help manage 
uh, expectations, protect the player, bring them along appropriately, help them um, assimilate into the organization, into this city. And, you know, I, I think my background, having worked with players, will be helpful in that regard. Um, just because, I, you know, over the years, I've had players call and talk about any number of issues in terms of the pressure of dealing with their circumstances in whatever market that would be. And, and uh, you know, I actually spoke with Carrie Price at one point this year and just said, look back at your, your experience here. And, you know, as an organization, knowing what you know and, and the pressure that comes with being Carrie Price in Montreal, you know, what would you suggest that we could do to, to make it easier for the next Carrie Price? So he had some interesting insights um, and we're going to do everything that we can to protect him. And then it starts too with a good coaching staff and a good uh, locker room, which I think we do have. Ken, regardless of the player you pick, when you consider that uh, all these players have played fewer games than, than most others would have played before getting there, is there is there more of an opportunity to look? And when we look at the history of teenagers in the NHL, there's just very few of them that have a big impact early on, right? Like it's a tough league at 18 and 19. If there was ever a time, I know Eric Johnson, I think, would be the last number one overall pick who didn't come to the NHL. How do you weigh that? Like, is there an opportunity to be more patient now, do you feel, than there there would be in another year? I I think I'm sure the Montreal fan base would absolutely want the number one pick to be in Montreal next season. I think in, in, as far as management's concerned, we're going to make the right decision for, for that player's development, just like every other player that we have coming. We've got some good young D that are coming and we're going to make the decisions that we think are best to ensure that they're the best player at 22, 23, 24, uh, as opposed to who can be the best at 18 or 20. So that, that is a, a decision that we'll make as, as we move through training camp. I know you let and you rely on your amateur scouts to help make the decision. Uh, do you feel like Kent, you have any leg up at all with this draft class, having your son, you know, play against a lot of this top, top competition. And if our listeners didn't know, uh, Kent's son, Jack is, uh, is projected to be a, a first round pick, a late first round pick. Um, you've seen a lot of these players, you know, as they've kind of grown up, does that help you at all? I think it does, you know, this group and next for, uh, to be perfectly honest, cause I, I coached the last five years with an 05 age group. Once my kids were uh, done youth hockey, uh, at least the uh, local youth hockey, I continued to do it. So uh, with a, you know, with a really good team that traveled and played most of the best teams in North America, I don't know everybody, uh, but I, I am also a big fan or believer in familiarity when it comes to amateur scouting that, you know, in, in a capsule and in a moment, any one player can be great or, or have a poor weekend or a poor stretch. So the, the longer runway you have to evaluate and understand a hockey player and understand the circumstances that they're playing in, I think the better off you are. Uh, and I think today's day and age, to be perfectly honest, you have the benefit that they didn't have 10 or 15 years ago to go back. We're watching video from two years ago, just trying to see how players tracked and, and what, maybe they had or didn't have in their game that they do now. You mentioned runway. Uh, we're now less than two weeks away. I know you said previously that you are going to use every moment and every you know data point available to make your decision. Have you guys made a decision? Do you know who you're taking yet? No, no. And that is not a, uh, that, that is not a, uh, um, <clears throat> 
a tactic. It's, it's truthful. We're, we're again, I said, we would use all of that time. And, and in the interim, we didn't expect the, the scouts to come and say, this is our guy unequivocally. So we've asked them to go back and, and watch and we're watching. And if we see something, we're asking them to watch more or look into it. So. Ken, how do you, how do you balance? Is there a, a risk of, of, overthinking it at times like you know everybody expresses their opinion and you want scouts to, to be very strong and adamant in their beliefs but but sometimes you know over time I've seen players who are top ranked players and then at the end people kind of start focusing on what they don't do rather than what they do how do you ensure that you, your guys are focused more on hey this is what we like about the players maybe more so than what we don't like I think that's critical I, I can remember early on in, in my uh the agency days talking to a, a very experienced scout who's still at it and very well known. And he said, uh, we look for everything they do right when they're 16 and everything they do wrong when they're 17. Uh, so no, we're, we're, you know, I always felt for when we were trying to find players at, at an earlier age, that it was usually what they did better than everybody else that allowed them to have success at the next level. It wasn't necessarily the player that was just great at, they were really good at everything. I, I think as you move up in the ranks from Pee Wee to Bantam and Bantam to Midget and into junior hockey, there's always that guy that was really good that just can't make that leap because he didn't have a differentiating aspect to his game. So no, we're, we're, we're looking at what they do. We're looking at, well, we're trying to figure out, the challenges that they would have to continue to have success at the next level. And then you kind of get into, you know, how willing are they to learn? How capable are they of learning? Because that's to me in hockey, it's such a fast sport and you go from offense to defense so quickly, you can play in the neutral zone, offensive zone. So there's just, I, I think it's a very reactive game. It's a very instinctive game. And when you're trying to make change to somebody's game, that relies on instincts and whatever. It's not a simple process to, to make significant change. Like I think of some of the players like a Brad Marchand to me is, has been a player that's continued to add to his game. He's got a very high capacity to, to change and improve uh, over the years. And that continues to this day. So, you know, we we're trying to evaluate all of that and figure out with their strengths, with their, their needs and everything else, who, who has that highest ceiling, who has that ability to add to their game and really be something special. And uh, Ken, I want to go back to uh, being, you know, you're an NHL GM, but first and foremost, you're a dad. And I know you've been through the draft process with Riley already in 2018. And uh, now you have your son. Well, will, will you go, can you move away from the, from the table when your son's drafted? Uh, how, how's that going to work? Because it's such a special dynamic and, and like you're a father first, like the, the, pro, the pride you would have for your son when he gets drafted, I, I can't imagine what it'd be like. So have you thought that through yet? And uh, like, I would, you know, if, if Ken Hughes stands up at the Montreal Canadiens table, when his son gets drafted by a rival team, I don't think anyone would complain like they'd say hey there's dad <laughs> i hope not I, I plan to uh it, you know hopefully we're not uh, on opposite ends of the uh of the floor at, at that point in time but yeah i mean we'll obviously uh I, I need to stay focused on on what we have to do and hopefully he's not getting drafted right before or right after one of our picks but um uh, certainly I, i'm proud of him i'm proud of all all my kids and you know they put a lot of hard work into it and, and like anything else i think when there's something that you put a lot of work into, I, you know, this is a moment 
to be excited, but it's like a quick moment and then you got to move on. And that's kind of the message I've always tried to uh, relay to our clients, but also my kids that uh, I think it was Joe Sackett, but I remember this years ago, he made it, he had a quote, something to the effect of, I spent the first half of my career trying to prove that I belonged. And I spent the second half of my career trying to prove I still belong. So, you know, coming from a hall of famer, uh, I have always said to our kids, like, you just got to get better. Like, there's no substitute for that. So we'll be really excited for him to be drafted. Very proud of him. Uh, and I think he knows that's now all of a sudden he's, he's continuing to work on his game, but for some specific team. This may sound like an odd question, Ken, but, you have 10 picks in the first four rounds. Is there a such thing as too many? Will you draft 10 players or do you envision potentially making trades to, uh, to not select quite as many? I think we'll, you know, we'll, uh, we'll look at options, including consolidating or moving up or, you know, moving out any number of things as you move through. I think it's, it's a dynamic process. So it's hard to say exactly how that's going to take place until it does, but yeah, we're, we're definitely going to explore our options here. I wanted to ask about, uh, Carrie price. Where does he stand at the moment? Um, and you know, we all saw the trade for Shea Weber and the, the, uh, the, to move off of that contracting, be able to get out of LTIR space is such a, a key in terms of accruing and, and going through your year a lot easier or smoothly on the cap. Um, I think some people saw that and said, well, maybe the Canadians have an idea now that Carey price will be available to start the season. You know, you, if you already have one guy in LTIR, what's the difference at that point? What can you get? What can you tell us in terms of an update on where Carey stands at the moment? Uh, I honestly, I, I can't give more of an update than what I have because it's what we know. I, I think time to be perfectly honest, is going to be uh, what dictates what happens with Kerry. He, you know, he's, he had a, uh, a small procedure, not an operation of any sort. And we're waiting to see how his knee responds to it all. Uh, we're hopeful, but at the end of the day, you know, our, our concern, it, it's not, if you're already an LTIR, then what's the big deal. It, it's, it's really the significance of how deep you are in LTIR that was of concern to us. And, and without knowing unequivocally what was going to happen with Carrie, we felt it was the, the prudent move to, uh, to be able to move Shea's contract if we could, without, you know, having to pay too big of a price to do it. And instead, you know, we we're happy to get a winger that we think can help us. Kent, you're in such a unique position for your one year removed from being a Stanley cup finalist. And now you're picking first overall, like it's, you, you couldn't get more opposite end of the spectrum. How do you view where your organization is at, right? Some teams will say, Hey, we're rebuilding. Um, it, it would seem odd that one year removed from a Stanley cup final, that a team's a rebuild. How, how do you balance and where do you view your organization at right now? I think I've used the term and, and, and I think people have accused me of using it to avoid uh, or an expression instead of the term rebuild retool and saying, Hey, we're trying to put a team together that can win on a consistent basis. Um, and, and to be perfectly honest, I think in today's game, you can go, I mean, it's probably unusual to go from Stanley cup finalists to last place. And I think, you know, you're missing Shea Weber and Carrie price in yes. particular due to injury, which would trigger that. And I think we lost the most number of man games in, in an NHL season this year uh, in history. So we were certainly dealt some, um, some challenges that, you know, hard to have, 
projected going into the season. So do I think the team that we started the year with was the 32nd place team? No, no question at all. And then if we were healthy, uh, this was a better team. We also have cap issues that we had to address. Um, and, you know, we traded out a lot of money and we're still, you know, we're still looking to create more flexibility. So there's certainly that component too, like any other team that, you get to a point with players progressing and other players on significant contracts that you just run into, to, uh, to a cap problem. And, and so do I think we're in a position with the expression that I've used is to put a team on the ice that can win on a consistent basis year in year out, you know, uh, Pittsburgh's done that for what, 16 years straight where they've, they've made the playoffs. They've won three cups. They lost in a, in a Stanley cup final, uh, Boston's had a pretty good stretch here, minus one year. I don't think we're in that position right now where we're, we're ready to to compete consistently. And, and so our objective is to continue to build towards that. I, I can't give you a timeline because things change quickly or can change quickly, but I don't believe that we're there yet. Ken, we always like to uh, wrap things up with a uh, rapid fire. Uh, the only rule is you have to answer the question. All right. Okay. So uh, we'll, we'll have a little fun. What, what about the GM job is different than you p- perceived or projected it to be? Uh, probably the, the uh, internal management, the, the non kind of hockey specific component of the job, just more encompassing than, than, than I think most of us think about from the outside favorite smoked meat sandwich place in Montreal. Ooh, ooh. Well, uh, I grew up in Montreal, so my yes. dad used to always come home with the uh, Snowden Deli smoked meat. Ooh, okay. Well, I, we're going to the draft. Everybody remember that Snowden Deli. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Um, you added an analytics department. What is your main priority that you hope to achieve from your analytics internal group? I, I see the analytics group kind of being the centerpiece of our uh, hockey operations universe in the sense that I expect them to contribute to the coaching group and the coaching groups going to have demands and information they want to see or information that the analytics group wants the coaching staff to see. Uh, I see them having that same relationship with management and I see them having the same relationship with hockey development. What do you miss most about being an agent? Uh, you know what? It's funny. I, we, uh, I got on the plane once, yeah, maybe six, seven weeks in. And, and, uh, I joked, I, w- I was doing it as a joke, but I said to Jeff, I said, I'm going to go on the back and play cards with the guys. And he laughed and said, you don't get to go past this seat. <laughs> Stay away. So it's a relationship, you know, you get to have a certain relationship, uh, as a general manager with your players, but it's probably different than what I had as a, an agent. What don't you miss about being an agent? Uh, I think probably everybody would say the difficult parent. <laughs> well said. Uh, what is your favorite uh, non-alcoholic beverage of choice? Hmm. Hmm. Probably soda water. Okay. And um, if Kent uh, Hughes is celebrating, a, you know, a, maybe a Stanley Cup victory or just a, a big achievement, uh, what is your, uh, your cocktail of choice? Molson. he has to say that smart guy smart guy uh ken uh we really appreciate your time and uh continued success and uh we will see you in montreal uh what like 10 days time 10 days time thank you guys
And Hughes, the uh, the GM man, what a situation! Uh, your your first draft as a GM, it's in your hometown. Your team has the number one overall pick, and oh, just as an added massive bonus, uh, your son's going to be a first rounder. Like that is an unbelievable situation to be in. It's an unbelievable story, really. Like yeah. I can remember, as I hinted at or asked the question, like you know him going through the process, and he was saying like. I'm not leaving my business for any team. Like if it's going to be a team, it's going to be the Montreal Canadians to understand and have a sense of all that. And to also, you know, be a proud Montrealer. Like it's just, it doesn't really get any better than that. And to hear him say like, you know, not hard to get out of bed in the morning. It's pretty awesome. Well, and he also, you know, he's, he's working with Jeff Gordon who has tons of experience, right? So you, you, I, I, it's a pressure cooker to be in Montreal, but to have a, I, I think a, uh, like a sounding board with so much experience. Uh, I, I think that's a dynamic that like, I don't care what job you're in, Frank, when, when you can enter a job that has pressure and you have people around you that have a ton of experience, it just, it allows you like more, more often than not to have more success. Well, they're also really close too. like, they go back a long, long time. And you know, Jeff Gordon drafted his other son, Riley, as you mentioned, and, and they tried to convince him previously to leave the agent business to come work for the Rangers. And in this case, um, you know, they, they weren't able to get him. So it was both position in GM and the team that was the difference maker to really make him stop and think and say, Hey, yes, I'm willing to, to take this leap. And uh, I, I didn't ask him cause I didn't think he'd give us an answer, but Jeff Petrie get dealt at the draft, Frank. I think they're trying. I think they're going to, you know, try and make something happen. I also think that they're not, everyone looks at that contract and says, Oh, they need to pay a price in order to do it. And it's like, Jeff Petrie is still a good player. He had a difficult year. He may not be playing up to the cap hit, but he's still a solid top four defenseman that you don't just give away because you're in a spot where he'd like to have a change of scenery. And I also think there's a chance, maybe a small one that, because a lot of what he went through was pandemic based with his family, that maybe there's a chance that if something doesn't materialize, that he could come back. I'm sort of speculating on that part. Um, But they're certainly open to try and facilitate. And I know that they've engaged in talks with a number of teams. Uh, One, one team that I mentioned in my trade targets piece to keep an eye on is the Pittsburgh Penguins. If they don't re-sign Chris Letang, who by the way is another former Kent Hughes client, um, that he might, Petrie might be a good fit there given their cap space that, you know, he, you could sort of plug him in. Yeah. And, uh, we do know that, you know, Jeff would like to play in the United States. So that's not a big surprise to anybody. So we'll see where it goes. Let's bring in uh, Tyler, Yaremchuk for another edition of buy or sell. Yes. Another edition of buy or sell delivered by our friends over at DoorDash. Ding dong. Ding dong. Indeed. Liam, uh, as always, promo code rundown DD gets you 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order. Let's kick things off with a little talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs and their goaltending situation. Jack Campbell as the starting goalie of the Maple Leafs next season. You buying or selling that, Frank? Selling. Uh, they've not talked. I don't think they've had really any formative or substantive, I guess I should say, discussions. And I don't know if they're just looking for a change of scenery or they think that they're not able to afford Campbell. But the fact that we are 19 days from free agency and there's been no talk leads me to believe he is hitting the market. And I will tell you one team to keep an eye on with Jack Campbell. And that is the New Jersey devils. 
Jay? Yeah, I'm selling for sure. I, I think uh, he is gone. Jack Campbell's played a long time in the NHL. This is an opportunity for a big payday. Um, I, I think that can spy, like you got Morazic at, what is he, 3.8 million right now as your backup. So they got to they gotta sort something else out there. Um, I, I think uh, Jack Campbell will, Jack Campbell's going to go to a team. I think he's, he's going to be a good goaltender. Um, I don't see it being in Toronto though. The Winnipeg Jets, there's a lot of talk about some big pieces on that team from Wheeler being on Frank's trade targets list. Shifley was there at one point as well. Pierre-Luc Dubois reportedly letting them know he wants to test the market in a couple of years. I'm going to say that in the next 12 to 13 months, the Winnipeg Jets will go into a full-blown rebuild. Jason, you buying or selling? Hmm. Well... To do, they've got to move a lot of guys. They've got enough skill on that team, right? Like they might move out one player this year. You know, I, I know Dubois says he's going to go to, well, that's two years away. Like, you know, lots can change in two years and uh, you know, his value can go up who knows. So uh, I'm going to sell on that. I, I think the Winnipeg jets had a, had a down year. I'm, I'm intrigued to see uh, who their coach is. Uh, if it indeed does become, you know, the guy that everybody thinks it's going to be in trots. Well, I definitely don't think they're ending into a rebuild. So I'll sell. Yeah, I'm going to sell too. I, I think they have enough talent that they, they just need a quick sort of retool, not a rebuild. And I think that's what we end up seeing this summer. When you consider, you know, some of the ages of the players that have been producing for you recently, um, you know, Kyle Connor, still a relatively young guy, you know, Nick Ehlers, 26, Connor, 25, um, Adam Lowry's got four more years. He's under 30, you know, Josh Marcy, 27. Like they have a group. Connor Hellebuck has two more years. He's 29 that, you know, can be competitive for a while, but the, some of the linchpins Dubois, as you mentioned, of course, some of the linchpins are Dubois and, and Hellebuck. Like if both are leaving, and I guess that's the premise of the question, Tyler is if both are leaving in two years, does this team have to enter a rebuild? And, and the answer is probably yes, but I don't have any evidence yet, given that it's so far away to suggest that that'll happen. Fair enough. Uh, the Florida Panthers, you guys talked about them a lot off the jump of today's podcast and how they could have a tricky offseason. I'm going to say the Florida Panthers do not win their division next year. I think they're a team that could be due for a pretty big step back. Frank, you buying or selling? I'm trying to think who would win it. Toronto? Probably not Tampa. Why not Tampa? Uh, I mean, it's possible, but I they they're not they're not the hungriest regular season team Fair enough. given their success. Um, probably like, almost definitely not going to be Boston and not Buffalo, Detroit, Ottawa, or Montreal. <laughs> so it's basically probably Toronto so, or Florida then. Yeah. I'm going to buy, I, I, I'm going to sell. Oh. I'm going to say Florida wins the division. Oh, Florida's got a lot of talent, man. Um, if that Yandel uh, bio didn't uh didn't jump up to what is it 5.2 and they got a total of 6.5 I, I might pick them as my stanley cup favorite i i think that cap space is is crusher though they can still be a very competitive team and i don't think they fall back i think they'll be hungry uh their core guys they're not going to lose any core players they're going to be a very hungry group after what happened uh to uh, to tampa bay i think losing a series is one thing getting swept is different and i think i think florida is going to be a hungry motivated team our Points Bet Canada bonus question. Points Bet Canada live in Ontario. Connor McDavid did not win MVP this year. That went to Austin Matthews, but I'm already getting ready. I have made myself a promise as a sports better. 
whatever the odds are when they open up next season, I am wagering on Connor McDavid to win next year's MVP. I think, you know, maybe there was a little voter fatigue. Maybe Connor McDavid will be a little extra hungry to win it next season. And also, I think the uh, the playoffs that he had could linger in the minds of voters next season as well. I am hammering Connor McDavid as next year's Hart Trophy winner. Frank, is it a good or bad idea for me to do that in your opinion? Never a bad idea to bet against Connor McDavid. Bet on Connor McDavid. Bet on, bet on yes. <laughs> Jason, yes, Connor McDavid I, next year's MVP. Would you buy or sell that? Yeah, I would probably, I would buy it more than sell it. Um, you know, McDavid's, McDavid's postseason, man. It's funny, as good as McDavid's been, he took his game to a new level in the playoffs we'd never seen before. Like, it was ridiculous. So, you know, and, and Leon Dreisaitl, both of them. So, yeah, I, I look at McDavid now. I do believe him. I don't think McDavid, he cares more about the fact his team won two playoff rounds yeah. than uh, winning another heart. Uh, obviously, he's the competitor inside. Sure, he'd like to do both. But, yeah, I, I think McDavid, he, he learned as crazy as it was, I think he learned a little bit about himself that he's even capable of more, which is scary for the rest of the NHL. All right. That's going to do it for another edition of a buy or sell delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Ding dong. Speaking of the NHL awards, honestly, I think Roman Yossi not winning the, uh, the Norris was a, was a bigger surprise than McDavid not winning the heart. I was surprised at how lopsided the heart was. It almost became like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Everyone that kept asking, you know, did you vote for Austin Matthews for heart? Like it became such a topic of conversation and you were asked about it. It was like, you know, with six, eight, 10 weeks left in the season, you know, Matthews for heart, Matthews for heart. It just became one of those things that just, it happened. I think everyone got wrapped up and infatuated by the number. Uh, maybe like, but I look at his numbers, man. Like, uh, like, and for all, for clarity, I had Roman Yossi as my heart trophy winner. Um, only one other defenseman in NHL history had a season that he's had. So, um, and I, I don't think Nashville is close to the team they are without him. Um, I think uh, Toronto and Edmonton have better overall depth than, than Nashville does. But um, I like, I, I could easily, the art to me, the gap between Matthews and McDavid, Frank, I would agree with you. I think maybe I was surprised that it was, it was that far, but you have to pick a one or a two or, or in my case, a two or a three. And the, the, the margin is very small, right? Like I think some people feel like, Oh, McDavid, no one likes him. Well, I, I think that's a little foolish. Not having him on the ballot, I think would be a, would be a worthwhile conversation to have with someone is to explain to me why that one was. But you know, if somebody puts him two and somebody puts him one or, or three, I, I don't think the gap was massive. Like, you know, Matthew's overall numbers, if you look possession, everything else, they're pretty impressive. And, and really what he did at five on five was, uh, was highly impressive. Um, but what McDavid not and taking think, anything away from, him, but why yeah. was he 500 voting points better than Austin Matthews or worse or whatever? Like I'm, I'm messing up the way I'm saying it, but yeah, I know what you why mean. was yeah, Connor yeah. McDavid 500 points different than Austin Matthews? Like why wasn't it closer? That's, yeah, that's my fair. Question. Yeah. That's a fair question. Right. Right. Like Makar and Yossi, I thought was close. I just, um, as close as it gets, it doesn't get any, there were 25 voting points separate the the first place vote gets you 10 points they were two and a half votes apart essentially on on a 200 person uh voting process like i i personally uh i put kale mccarr one uh i had roman yossi two for naris and my reasoning was i think roman yossi is way more valuable to his 
his team. And that's why I had him on my heart ballot. But I think Kale McCarr is the better defenseman that had the better defensive season. All right. Uh, the closest one, of course, ever would have been the heart race back with the Ginla and uh, Theodore when they actually had the same percentage of votes. They had the exact same amount of votes, but Theodore won because he had a few more first place votes. That's uh, that's I, I couldn't find a vote that was closer than that one. So um, that was obviously 20 years ago, but uh, still one that I'm sure Flame fans are still annoyed by that uh, Jerome McGinley didn't win it that year. And perhaps right. rightly so. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you're going home. Well, I would say that I think there's like, I don't know. I, the only way you're not going home is if somebody somehow before Monday, Tampa Bay wins two games. Otherwise you're going home. I have a flight book for Saturday. <laughs> have a good week and enjoy the celebration, Frank. Drink some water. Thanks for listening to the DFO rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to never miss an episode delivered by DoorDash. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.